Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today I sit down with Sam Galatry and it's a great chat. Uh, we talk about Sam's upbringing um, in Scotland. He's now relocated down to, to London recently and we talk about some really interesting discoveries and y- you realise that some people are just wired to be creative and you know, finding out when we get on to first records, had an emotional impact on him and things like that. Some of the stories around him being very, very young and the kind of things that he was drawn to, you just think you're going to be a creative. You're going to end up doing something interesting and left field because, yeah, I don't want to give you any spoilers, but um, I think you're going to see where I'm, you know, where I'm coming from with this, but he's definitely wired to to to, to be that kind of creative person. It's um it's a really interesting chat this, and uh, and some great records are discussed too. Um, before we get on with the chat, uh, a few thank yous. Um, I'd like to thank my sponsor, which is Hotel Chocolat. Um, actually went and met them uh, yesterday, had a little meeting with them. And yeah, it was uh, a lovely little meeting talking about some ideas for some more off the beaten track live shows that we're going to do in person. Uh, so hopefully we're going to do some stuff there because they've got um, a lovely little venue in, in London, a very intimate basement venue that um, we've done a few bits in with, with, under other guises, but going to do some off the beaten track stuff there uh, soon. Um, and the... One of the things I want to tell you about Hotel Chocolat is I don't need to tell you about their chocolate because you know all about that. You know that it's like just different level stuff. Amazing, if you're vegan as well, amazing um, vegan options there as well. I got given a little gift bag yesterday and some of the stuff in there was vegan. It's absolutely amazing. But I want to tell you about the Hotel Chocolat alcohol range because it's absolutely ridiculously good. So... I can tell you about the vodka, I can tell you about the gins, but I want to tell you about the creamy range because it is unbelievable. Uh, So it's kind of all of the stuff that you get from a a creamy alcoholic range, but imagine adding that kind of hotel chocolat magic to it. So the mint chocolate one is my personal favourite. There's an orange one, there's a salty caramel one, there's a espresso martini one, and from what I was told yesterday... There's going to be a mince pie one uh, coming out of Christmas, so that's going to be ridiculously good. Um, and yeah, and they've they've been with us for two years now, so it's it's lovely to have an official sponsor. Uh, so huge thanks to Hotel Chocolat, official sponsors of the podcast. Um, it's International Podcast Day today. Um, I'm recording this episode on the thirtieth. Um, so a, a big thank you to Scroobius Pip. Um, who owns the Distraction Pieces Network that this podcast is part of and proud to be part of. And and it was Scroobius Pip that 
really is to thank for um, my kind of U-turn in my career from, uh, you know, I'm not even say U-turn, it veers off into, into podcasting. Um, I had no plans to be involved in the world of podcasting and it was just through guesting um, on the Drunk Cast with Scroobius Pip that it ended up becoming a thing and uh, and it's now become a, a huge part of my career uh, and I have to thank him for that. So um, have a lovely um, International Podcast Day. Uh, and thanks to Scroobius Pitt. Uh, one of the other people that I would like to thank on International Podcast Day is you. Um, because it's you lot that have enabled this podcast to exceed 450 episodes. That's a lot of podcasts to, um, you know, I'm, I've been sort of putting out two a week, which is which is quite a quite a workload. And, and I'm sure m- most of you will know if you, you listen to this podcast that um, I do have other podcasts as well that uh, aren't based uh, around the world of music. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's there's lots of podcasts out there, and, and I'm, I'm lucky that a lot of you listen to the other ones as well. Um, but, yeah, I just want to say thank you, because Off the Beaten Track is my absolute baby, and it's enabled me to get through lockdown pretty unscathed, I think, because it gave me focus. It gave me an opportunity to speak to people like the Foo Fighters, and Chuck D from Public Enemy, people that I've admired that I never in a million years thought I'd ever have a conversation with. Um, and so, yeah, so huge thanks to you. And if you're here today for Sam's episode and you're new to the podcast, then hello. Um, as I mentioned, I've had 450 episodes um, out so far. So um, once you've listened to this chat today with Sam, go and have a little rummage in the archives because um, I've had some incredible guests uh, over the years and... Uh, if you like your kind of guitar indie stuff, um, then you can go and hear me talking to the likes of the Vaccines, Suede, Idols, Sleaford Mods, uh, and kind of the, the killers. Uh, and if you like your rock stuff, then you can hear me talking to Foo Fighters and Tommy Lee and Motley Crue. Uh, and yeah, and if you like your kind of producers, you can hear me talking to legendary producer Butch Vig, who produced Nirvana, Sonic Youth, Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, you can hear me talking to Fatboy Slim, um, and if you like yeah, electronic music, then I've had a real who's who on the podcast as well, from Darren Emerson uh, through to Paul Oakenfold. Uh, gosh, all manner of, of, of amazing producers and DJs uh, and uh, artists, as well as a big bundle of your favourite actors and comedians as well. And they're all there to be enjoyed for free. The reason that there's 450 episodes available for free is because there's an option for you to help and be part of the family and, and yeah, be a paid-up member of the Off The Beat and Track gang. Uh, and that's my Patreon. costs a dollar a month, so that's about 80 pence a month. And what you get for that is you get videos, so each week you get to watch the episodes, if you like to do that. You get to see the lovely guests um, chatting and enthusing about their, their, their favourite tracks. Unfortunately, you have to put up with my ageing, lispy Essex face. Um, and also, I put up lots of radio shows. I, I sit down in my little studio and play all my favourite records, and records that I think you may not know, and some that you will, and, and talk about them, uh, and just get all nostalgic and excited. And put them out on the Patreon. There's loads of all the artists' playlists are over there. And once a month, I do a live show. It's an online live show over Zoom that you can all come to. And I ask one of the questions from the podcast. And you can all bring your answers along. And we sit there and we all have a big chat. And we record it and we can put it out. And and we have a lovely little nerdy, geeky music chat about 
our favourite tunes. Um, so I do that once a month as well. And so, yeah, 20 pence a week that cost you. And I know you often hear me banging on about Patreon. I do it on every episode. Um, and I'm sure a lot of you just skim the first bit because you don't have to put up with this waffle. But it, it really does help. And, you know, I know times are tough, but if you can spare a dollar a month um, or whatever it is, 80 pence, then it goes in the pot to cover the cost of production and, and, and time and travel and everything to ensure that uh, I can keep giving you two episodes each week for free. And uh, and it's much appreciated. It really is. Okay. Everything you need to know about this podcast, by the way, is on the website. It's offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Or just follow us on all the socials. We're on all the usual platforms. Just Just Google it. You'll find us. Right. That's it. That's all the intro stuff done, so let's get on with today's episode. Please enjoy it off the Beat and Track podcast with the wonderful Sam Gelatry. It's off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. How you doing, Sam? Doing well, sir. How are you? Yeah, all right, all right, mate. Nice. Sam, we always start this podcast uh, with the intro questions. So for track one, yeah. Sam, can you tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please? Yeah. To me, that's uh, Genesis by Justice. I'll tell you what, right, no one's chose Justice yet. Yeah. And I haven't heard that for about five years. And I heard it this morning, I was like, Fuck, why has no one ever chose this? It is huge, right? It's too big. Larger than life, man. And even like, even when I sit in here, how detailed it is, but I'm always fascinated by when things come out. And I heard they did that album on GarageBand in 2007. And like, sound design-wise, that's absolutely crazy. Because there's so much fun, it's so loud, it's so bright, it's so futuristic. And it's obviously... The elements of the sounds are like it's kind of like a soundtrack almost, like to a crazy film of some description. Yeah, perfect Huge intro job. to that album. Perfect intro in general. <clears throat> and just and just what Justice done. It, it was like it was like for me, like going back to '89 and seeing like what Oakenfold and uh, uh, mm. and um, what, what was was doing with like fusing electronic music with with indie music and yeah. what Justice done just kind of kicked off that whole Kitsune, Ed Banger thing where every indie band was having these kind of like Errol Orkin, like amazing remixes. And it was like, it just kind of pulled the whole Indian electronic sort of music scene together again and just threw out so many amazing, because am I right? Tell me if I'm wrong. You You may well know this, but the Justice versus Simeon track that We Are Your Friends. Yes. What I gather, if this is the truth, so rumour has it that Eddie Temple Morris was doing something on XFM at the time where you would send in your mashups. Oh, really? And someone sent that in as a mashup. Really? And then Justice and, and Simeon were like, fuck, we got to do something with this. Wow. And then obviously the rest is history. Yeah, because that's a classic, isn't it? Wow. Mate, absolutely. Absolutely. I would that happening. But to be fair, I don't know what the original track is for that. Like the mm. Justice track I've never heard. Yeah. To that, yeah. I'm not sure. Like, do you know that? You know how it's a mashup? It would it'd be two songs, but I've never. Of heard course, that. yeah. Independently, yeah. But other than that, it could, could highly be true. I don't know. It's actually me in mobile disco as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's crazy. Because that they're part of that era as well. It was that indie. Hundred percent. And like the Claxons and all that stuff. That was like yeah, the coolest yeah, yeah. thing when I was about. Because that was 2007, so I would have been 10 and 12 and all that stuff. That was what I would see on like Channel Four with the um, when it was all about music videos and all that stuff. That was like yeah. the coolest thing to me. So yeah, love it. Yeah, love it. I want to talk about intros uh, and, and and speak to you. Uh, with your with your musician's uh, hat on, and w- when you're creating music, tell me a little bit about because the way that people are consuming music, and I'm focusing this more on what I see when I watch how my daughters consume music, and yeah. they'll go, yeah, yeah, I know that. Like, how do you know that? And I'm like, because it come out when I was like <laughs> 17, and they're like, yeah, 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 it's on TikTok, and it's yeah. like. And and Spotify and the importance of Spotify playlists and rather than traditionally in, in my era where it was like getting on the radio, you know, getting playlisted on on on, on the right stations and such. Yeah. How much of these things of getting on Spotify playlists and having something that could potentially, you know, latch on, on on TikTok, how much of that, if at all, enters into your creative process when you're not not in the slightest. Because the way these the way these things work and people it's funny because you can almost tell when someone's trying to aim for <clears throat> that level of viral like aspects but what i've noticed from it is there's no clean line of what it takes to get a viral a viral track on these platforms so Usually it's something that's authentic and like it's the funny the funniest instance I've thought of recently was the Hudson Hawk thing with Seabat when that just blew up off of a meme pretty much. Like he made that what eleven years ago. So it was yeah. nothing to do with the app in general. It just had a certain place in society now. And I think that's just the same thing. Yeah. Even one of my tracks assumptions was it got picked up on TikTok a year later. And I never intended for it to be. I didn't even. By the time I'd made that song, TikTok wasn't alright because I made it yeah. so much more before. I just think it's a general thing of, and it's interesting you said about you said your your daughters learn stuff which you've heard from ages ago, but they know it instantly. I think it's a grand that that opens up a conversation about the internet in general. How younger people are going to get so much smarter because they have so much more data, but they just get yeah. like fast tracked into it and they just have it immediately. Um, Absolutely. And that does impact intros, but more so it impacts intros in a sense of it being, you can't really have a grandiose, like long kind of thing as much because the attention span is, isn't as what it used to be for all of us. So, um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, you know, it, it is weird because when, <coughs> you know, I've had musicians come in here and, 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 and choose like these kind of almost like 10 minute intros for these, you know, huge kind of Pink Floyd or, yeah. or Doors tracks and like, and you just think, if you went into a record company today as a new artist and went, I've got this, this intro is fucking epic. It's like 12 minutes. They'd be like, yeah, all right, mate. yeah no. it's not going to happen. It's uh, <laughs> all right. Sam, I'm, I'm going to take you back now. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm going to ask you for uh, track two to tell me the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Yeah. I took this, com- this question literally. It was Dancing in the Moonlight by Top Loader. And I just remember okay. hearing that start. Also, it's intro-based. I remember hearing those keys. But I'm talking about I was, I think I was four when I heard that, when I remember hearing that. And it's just got this certain sadness almost to it. 
there's something that's not it's not completely happy it's probably i think it's slightly detuned actually i think the sun in the uh, sample where it's not it's not it's i don't know but something about that when i was a kid just grabbed me and i think a lot of people share the same kind of appreciation for that song when they were younger and stuff so i've never considered that there is some like because the, the actual song itself is quite joyous, right? Yeah, and not, I'm mainly I'm actually mainly talking about that. It's funny because the second intro is the end of the comment, but the, the, I know it's quite somber, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And there's a certain yeah, to it and it's not it, that's what grabbed me as a kid. It's like it's got a happy context, but it just the sound where it's like I don't know. <laughs> and 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 it's quite and I guess for you know as a four year old, it's almost. It's quite nursery rhyme like as well, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, lullaby esque as well. Yeah, but it's obviously yeah, yeah. way step beyond that because um, it's a real song. But like, I remember that's that's a good point. It's almost like that could be like the transition from it, like going from that stuff to um, music in general. I mean, I heard a bunch of other songs, but there's something about that when you when I you asked me that question, there was something about that song. Was I think that's the first track I was like, oh wow, yeah. I think it's there with the key, the songs in as well. It's, I think it's in C minor. Um, yeah. And that's quite a, it's not the brightest key. It's close to being really bright, but it's not. It's kind of like, yeah. to me. So, yeah. If you had to pinpoint the emotion you got hearing that, what would it have been? Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. That's a hard question. I think it, it reminds me of a feeling. It, I think I heard it at a bowling alley or something, but I don't know if I've been at a bowling alley before. It must have been like five or something because I would have been in Sterling where I moved to after Edinburgh. I think maybe it was to do with the association of where I was that made it quite like a, because I was already in a, I think it was a bowling alley, so it was like quite a high energy place for a kid to be in. Probably hearing that made it, I guess. I couldn't tell you. Man. I actually can tell you the exact emotion because now I'm thinking about it. It's obviously nostalgia because I'm, I'm, of course, I'm rewinding at that point. But at that time, I, I didn't even know what emotions were as well. So it's like hard yeah, yeah. to know what I was feeling. But I just know that that track stood out when I was younger for sure. But that's the thing that's good about that that question is the fact that you said you didn't really understand emotions and such. Yeah. But it's it's that thing where you hear a, a record for the first time. And it sounds different to everything you've heard before. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it's not just noises. It's yeah. like, oh, this has done something else. Yeah, I, I've got a fi- this has created a feeling. This is yeah. weird. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Exactly. And that's what's interesting as well in terms of keys of songs, which I've always had an interest in because almost every song you get fed as a youth is in C major. So like Happy Birthday, yeah. like A B C D E, even the alphabet. You know what I mean? Um, Mary Had a Little Lamb, they're all in this one key. And the interesting thing about that being in C minor, it's like the minor equivalent. And I make all my music in minor. Like, usually it's the root is minor. I'll use major chords, yeah. but I use, like, there's something about minor. That might be another subliminal thing where that song set me off on a minor kind of like trick. Yeah. But here and that, so here in C major get turned into C minor, it's like, it is like night and day. Because C minor yeah. has got that brightness, and C minor got like a darker tone to it. That could be a huge part of maybe hearing songs when I was younger and that C major happy. Like I hate C major because it's like that jolliness that's not really yeah. real. It's like a fake jolliness. It's almost spooky in in some context. 
if we slow it down and like change the environment it becomes a kind of like reservoir dogs thing you have a happy thing and something really crazy is going on it's like yeah 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 put that in a dark context but um i think i think that goes into what you were saying like transitioning from stuff where you you know it's a little tune and it's like it's it serves its purpose and then you have something which is outside of that yeah. a song in its own right so i think that's definitely a good point and why that stuck out sam you mentioned uh moving from edinburgh to sterling mm-hmm. so where, where, where was growing up? Um, Stirling. So that's central Scotland. So it's just in between Glasgow and Edinburgh, a little bit above. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I was there till I was 23, moved to, back to Edinburgh, and then lockdown hit, and now I'm in London. So I've been there for a huge amount of my life, most of my life. Uh, Tell me about um, home at Stirling. Uh, was it a musical household? No. There's, there was there was glimpses of music. For example, my dad handcrafts bagpipes. Uh, that was his trade. So he has a wood turning lathe. That... I mean, that's as fucking Scottish as it gets, yeah. right? <laughs> I'm a... It's hilarious. And my mum used to be in a band, but I'm telling you, man, you know what people have there? Like, I'm sure that with your family, you'll have your 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 like tastes are in the house with the music. Like, I had none of that. There was no music playing generally. Like. And it wasn't a bad thing. If anything, it gave me this open space to find my own taste. And YouTube had just came about by the time I was... I'd say when you're eight, you kind of gain consciousness where you're like, all right, <laughs> life's, the time has happened so much that I know I'm a real being at this point. And around yeah. the time is when YouTube came about. So there were so many adverts and so many... like The king of adverts to me at the time are like just placement of song. You know, writes up. I was hearing them a lot and I... And I Actually, no, this is a good one. Um, I'd seen them on top of the pops and they were sat in a car and the guy had a synth and it was like two girls in the back or something like that and they were just playing it and there was no vocals. I remember seeing that on top of the pops probably about when I was six and that really stuck out to me. I maybe should have said that instead of Top Loader, but I'd, that would be the first instance. Top Loader would have been the first instance. But when visually seeing the guys in Roycesop play the synth when everyone else was doing like bands and like miming and all the rest of it that stood out like crazy to me in terms of that's surreal yeah that's surreal man because at that age surely your brain is going to be conditioned to the most glitzy bright pop hook ridden like stuff that's tailor-made for young ears and like and you're you're going down a fucking rabbit hole with roik's up that's (laughs) fucking mad Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. But then, and then, but then, but then there'd be like, I'm sure there was bank adverts. I have quite a good memory, man. This is the thing I was very like, I was absorbing on this stuff. I think there was an advert, a bank advert that I had so easy on. And mm. but they just have very syncable music, right? And that in itself came into my subconscious. And through YouTube, I could go back. Like Mel DM, the album that all these are on, is one of my favorite albums ever. Um, because it's this kind of, it's, it's not necessarily <clears throat> like an overload of information, but it's just stuff done really meticulously and really thought out and really well polished and just quite easily accessible. I think that's why that album did so well with it being so heavily instrumental is it mm. it kind of doesn't alienate people. It just has this universal sound. But um yeah, so that was an instance. That really sparked my I think that's where my electronic seed was planted. Because I was like, why why are these I was more so just like why are they not singing? So it wasn't like I was immediately like, oh those guys are cool. I was more like it came as a shock. Um, and then obviously Daft Punk. I, I, like I remember where I was, where I first heard Daft Punk, and knowing it was Daft Punk. I was on this road. I know I literally know exactly where I was. I was eight, and Annie Mac said it was around the world, and I heard that. I went straight home. Then I was also a massive Star Wars geek, so the the transition from the robots and the droids from Star Wars into Daft Punk was like linear, like the exact same thing. So I just put. That's when I got really geeked on music was when I heard about Daft Punk. And then I started sampling music. I used to, because I got so into Daft Punk, I used to look at all their samples from Discovery. And then my brother was making like, like happy hardcore, like chaff music in the house. So maybe that would be an instance of what was playing in my house, but I hated it. Cause it was just like noise, like doof, 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 way too loud and like abrasive. But um, he was using Acid Pro, which is like a waveform software, quite similar to Audacity kind of thing. Um, and I would go on that and and get look for rare disco songs on YouTube and sample them when I was about 10, 10 or 11 years old. So that's when the journey started in that sense. But I was like feeding myself, trying to find the rarest samples of like funk, disco, like fusion records, like George Duke and all that. James, um, Daft Punk samples George Duke. So I was on George Duke. Like that was my thing when I was really young. So I, I guess the, 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 the space in not having music led me on this crazy journey, which was very specific to it being the time that I was born. Because it was, yeah. I literally, eight and nine years old, bang, was started Googling about all this stuff. Mate, Sam, you must have been a very intense young lad. No, that's, that's pretty heavy at nine years old. Crate digging for fucking rare disco samples. <laughs> I brought <laughs> I brought in Discovery as a CD um, when I was pre- like year seven, primary seven, it must have been like 11. I remember playing it to my classmates thinking they're all going to love it. And they're like, oh, it's so repetitive. Turn this shit off. Like, oh. 
Even the teacher was like, Sam, this is too much. I was like, oh, it. Well, that's that, that's fitting because I'm going to ask you now for track three to tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please, Sam. I chose I chose um, high school for this one because okay. I don't. There was so much. Like, this one was more. This one really, really reminds me of high school. It reminds me of like even you know like the in betweeners and stuff like that. That was such a thing when I was at high school. So it's kind of like this memory is like meshed into one. And they always used to. And even like. I don't know why. I never really watched the Inbetweeners that much, but it's just that I remember it, like looking at that gives me the exact same feeling of going to high school and how awkward it was and how interesting. Like I, I didn't like school at the time, but I look back and I think that was quite. It was fine. It wasn't traumatic or anything like that. It definitely taught me that I didn't want to be academic. But but yeah, Tudor Cinema Club for me was that. That was that kind of like. I don't even know if you know the what Bebo is. Do you remember people? But yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I thought that might have been a young thing. I wasn't sure, but not. No offense. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm talking about like high school folk. I don't know that I don't know other people had that one. But yeah, people. Yeah. I remember. I remember you'd go on people's page and it would automatically play someone from YouTube. And nine times out of ten, it was Studio Cinema Club. Yeah. Just a moment in time for me, like that. That was that is actually post to me of the stuff we were talking about with Justice. Mm. That was when they kind of, they've still had the uh, indie elements. I think, you know, one of the guys for Cassius, I'm pretty sure he produced the song I chose. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. He's part of quite a lot of that because you'll notice a lot of the songs are actually drum machines and that give it a kind of like, I love drum machines, especially because it's reminiscent of like 80s stuff. So it kind of gives just band music a little bit of an edge, just a tiny push towards it not being just mm. like, you know, like a traditional indie band. But yeah, I love this song that I chose, This Is The Life, Tudor Cinema Club. So you, you said that uh, you wasn't uh, that academic at school. Like, did you know what you wanted to be when you was at school? <laughs> I was bang in the middle. So I, was, I wasn't I was bad enough to be looked after. I wasn't good enough to be like, given praise. So I was bang in the middle. It, was, it gradually started to decrease down. But when I came in to school, I was kind of like, you could almost, you could almost ignore. It's so interesting that it's kind of like that at school. It's almost like a family dynamic. I was like the middle, middle child of probably like twenty, but like bang in the middle, you definitely forget that. But through that, I ended up becoming like a class clown type because I was just so bored, and I was, was it wasn't. I had, a, I had a run of bad teachers to be fair, not bad people, but just they couldn't teach for shit. <laughs> um, and I, could, I had struggle writing kind of thing. I had horrific handwriting. And half my classes when I got into like later on in school was just like, write this down. And it was more like a speed lesson how, how to write really quick. So all my notes would be like half written and all that stuff. Um, and as that as I was getting gradually worse, I remember my friends were like, kind of like, oh, I'm kind of worried, Sam, like what's going on? But I was making this really weird electronic music at the time, which I, I knew, I didn't know I was going to get a career off of it, but I knew it was... Like my more, I was skipping, and actually no, I've never did homework. But if I was to do homework, I'd be skipping it <laughs> to do all this music stuff at home. Um. So when that was happening, I just looked around, and it was really. I also thank my parents for letting me leave. But I really, what I seen was that all my friends are putting themselves in a almost like a suffering position to get what they want, and there's nothing there academically that I want. 
to suffer for. So it was really like a like a psychological thing of I'm not putting myself in a stressful position to do just because they've told me I need grades to get into university. I didn't want to go to university. I knew that. I was never wanting to go down that route. I think what did you want to do? Music, permanently. It was always that. I've, I've got did photos it... of me, like, I drew, like, pictures of me in, a, in front as a band member, like, the front guy in a band member playing the bass, just to be weird, because I, I love the bass. There's a single, I'll tell you why I love the bass, you'll know what one it is. Um, but there's drawings of that I did it myself when I was, like, eight. So from there, like, almost, I knew I wanted to do music. And I knew it wasn't the conventional stuff. Because the interesting thing as well, there was academic music people next to me, which also got more attention than me. Um, so it was, it was an interesting time. It was like, like, I think like a lot of people, especially in the creative field, they see school as a, um, it's more like a, a system rather than a, like, it's not like a, I won't get into that, but you know what I mean. It's, it doesn't. It doesn't. Sam, I, I, I've done four hundred and fifty of these podcasts now, and I would say over four hundred people on here that are, um, and they're all creatives. Yeah. They've all pretty much said exactly what you were probably going to say then, yeah. like, that it was a system and it did not compute with what they wanted to be or who they were, yeah. and it was just a means to an end to get out and then to do the things that they wanted to do. I can't remember. I heard someone say that the school system hasn't changed in like 150 years. You think about it. it's like the bell, the row of seats, the teacher, and then this and that. Like, think about how much everything has changed around school since then. So that that's another point. It's like outdated, and it gives this kind of mechanical cog mentality, which I, I could never. I was too distracted for stuff like that. Tell me a little bit about. Um... You know, you, you you say you was you know at, at that point you discovered like Daft Punk and Rexop and and all of these bands that have come from these um, crazy places around the world. Mm. Did it seem a possibility that a lad from Sterling could make a career in music? Do you know what's crazy, man? I never really thought about where I was because I was such a because it was so internet based. And everything I was getting fed was coming from one source, which was the internet. And that has no bounds. It's all over the world. I never really sat down and went, oh, I'm from Sterling. There's no way I could do this. Yeah. Um, because it actually probably a huge part of that was because I was listening to music all over the world. So I never seen it as a thing where like location had a certain, um, you know, like a certain place. It didn't, I didn't think oh, I had to move to London to make it in the industry. I yeah. probably would have 10 years before if I had just got into music without the internet and I was just like actually jamming out. But mm -hmm. that, again, just because of what time in life I got into it and like what was happening with the internet, I never really had that thought. Okay. Yeah. Tell me the first song you remember buying from a record shop. Uh, Feel Good Inc. Gorillas. See, this is the one that's meant to be sh like embarrassing, and you've actually got a fucking stone cold killer single there, yeah. mate. And also, my my album, my first ever album I bought was Chemical Brothers, Push the Button. Oh, fuck off! That's just too cool, man. Come on. <laughs> I came in swinging, man. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> there was also a, I can't I can't take credit for that. There was amazing music that was coming. Out there. It was a beautiful time for electronic music, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, like it was literally pop almost. I heard push the button, the galvanized. I was like, whoa, because I heard that on the radio. 
Like this was yeah. stuff that was actually getting played. And like Feel Good Inc. Um I remember listening to Demon Days on you know in Sainsbury's they used to have the C D player and you yeah. headphones in. I used to listen to that whenever my mum would go shopping around the thing, I'd just have my headphones in and she'd go and do her shop. But I think they usually change the CDs. But I'm certain the guy didn't change the CD because he knew I'd kept coming in and listening whilst my mum was shopping. So yeah, uh, Gorillaz is a huge like. That's why I drew myself with the bass guitar in the front. Nice. It's a feel good night. And the CD I got is weird because it was like, it was a I think it was a DVD single. So like I'd plug it, I'd put it in my laptop. I was also very blessed to have a laptop at this time. And like things like that, like my friends didn't necessarily have good computers. So I had that Tony Vile 32 gigabyte hard drive and all that stuff. It was absolutely like, top of the range. But um, I put it in and you'd get the music video. So I could see him playing the bass. And I wanted the bass almost immediately after that. Um, I didn't get a bass until, until I can't remember. I do always wonder what would have happened if I got that bass at that time. But I'm glad of the way things went. I, and I think because I wasn't so instrument based, I was fixated on the computer. And that's what really served me well because I was I had that sponge youth like brain attacking something that is like brand new rather than coming out yeah. like 20 or something. And it's just, you're setting your ways anyway. It's like, I kind of grew up with that. Yeah. But yeah, no, nah, Feel Good Inc. Still one of my favorite songs ever. Yeah. I uh, I got to I saw Gorillaz. It was my first gig after after lockdown, and it was at the O2. And my, my pal's a nurse, and she was like, "Do you want to come with us? Yeah. Like, they're doing a free gig for nurses." And no way. I actually I actually saw the Gorillaz' first ever gig. It was at the Scala in Kings Cross. And, no chance. And uh, and it was like I couldn't like I was a huge Blur fan. You know they're they're, they're Essex boys, so yeah. you know we love them here. And and it was like I've seen Blur so many times. It was like right, what am I going to see at this first? gig no one knew and if i remember rightly i think the rhythm section was tina and chris from talking eds oh really and yeah and the band oh, it, was, it was a fucking ridiculous band and obviously damon up front and i thought what are we gonna see like and and obviously scarlet's only a, a pretty small venue yeah it's just and it was just this white like um like sheet and all you could see was like these the silhouettes and it was just really, really fucking surreal. But yeah. sonically, it sounded unreal. Wow. And then, whatever, 15, 16, 17, maybe 20 years later, seeing them like last year coming out of lockdown yeah. at the O2 with like fucking De La Salle and Lil yeah. Sims, everybody on stage. It was like a carnival. And the the, the visuals, obviously what Jamie Hewitt does, is yeah. unreal. Yeah. And just the whole thing, it was just like one of the greatest things I'd ever seen. Like as a, as just as a party, yeah. it looks so mental, and it was like, and I think Damon doesn't get the credit he deserves for Gorillas because I think it's really forward thinking what he's doing now. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, like there's no genre attached to the Gorillas. There's actually no artist like Gorillas either. Not mm. even the cartoon element. It's just the sound is, is so unique. But so the fact that the biggest success story. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. For me, they did Demon Dates, which was like a classic advice. And then they kind of amped it up for Plastic Reach. And like, how does it, how do you do that after that? Like, that was like a real, that really solidified who they were to me. Um, I think Plastic Beach potentially is the better album, but the Sonics from Demon Days will never leave me because they're so so ingrained in my childhood. Yeah. Um, but like things like Dirty Harry, that you just go back to it and listen to it, and you're like, it's just the the t- like the rhythm and the sounds. It's timeless. It's really, really, really impressive music. And I just seen them at All Points East very recently. And I, I I can definitely say it's the best show I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of like I'm never usually like blown away at a show. Just because I have been to a bunch of festivals in my time and just kind of seen a lot of acts, which I love musically, but just never really been like, Oh wow, this is crazy. But they put on a like as you said, like a carnival. It's not just like a music show. It's kind of like this full, it's like operatic almost. It's like very formative and really, and like all the visuals in the back, I was like, I've seen all these things. Like a lot of the ones like when I was like really young, I was like, I've seen this on YouTube, this and that. It's just like, that, that's another thing as well. I knew it was my favorite show um, because I'd seen, uh, no, after the show, I went straight back to the discography and just listened to all the stuff again. And I've never had that impact from a show before. I've yeah. oh, they've done their thing. I've seen all the songs. I'm I'm well fed, but they have so much back catalogue where they didn't get to play other songs, but they still chose like the right songs to play. So I was very impressed by that. And you're right, it doesn't get enough credit at all. I think. I, I I think in years to come, people will look back and talk about Damon Auburn the way that people talk about David Bowie yeah like constantly reinventing himself in whether it's Marley music whether it's Blur whether it's Gorillaz yeah. just constantly just yeah. creating this fucking mad stuff that's yeah. just really really good with real kind of solid pop sensibilities as well it's like I think he's a a, a, a real maverick yeah I totally agree Tell me the song that soundtrack your years in Clubland. You're still in the middle of it. You're still a young no, one. Like... one. That's why I chose this one. Um, Blooming Free by Lone. This song drives me crazy. There's not... Everything about it is like pointing towards having this four in the four, but there's, it doesn't come in, and it just get, keeps you teased for about eight minutes long, and the chords are so full, so bright, and then there's this like little chopped it's like a gated uh, vocal thing and it's the most addictive sound i've ever heard in my life people always ask me like oh what, what would the last song you'd want to hear like like the death row meal would be the death row song 
I say that for two reasons. One, because of that vocal thing. The other thing is because it's nine minutes long, so I'd have <laughs> a long time. But that song, like, if I really want to get in a euphoric, like, happy mood, that's the song I'd just gravitate towards. Nice, nice. Love it. Where's, where's clubbing these days? What's that, bro? Where's clubbing these days? You're based in London now, right? Yeah, I just moved here. Bro, I don't really go out that much. I end up... <laughs> I kind of end up going to casual parties that my friends throw rather than going out in clubs. I've, do you know what? I actually, I end up in Coco quite a lot, to be fair, because they've reinvented themselves. They're doing like loads of shows right now. I just did a show with Madlib last week in Coco. Um, nice. Region, uh, when my mixtape dropped. So I played there, but I'm usually there because they get the best acts. And it's a fun, it's not a traditional club. And I don't try to think yeah i'm not gonna lie i kind of struggle going to club nights because i've got i've got the dj curse <laughs> where i'm just like i feel like i'm on the job but i can't actually let it's like everything that the club is there for i can't really detract myself from the musical aspect <clears throat> I, I, sam i've i've um i've got a club and i've i've, I've run it for 32 years and it's uh it's really weird i think once you've Either DJ'd or run a club or and seen behind the curtain, mm -hmm. the magic is hard to kind of find there. And like, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> it's so tough, man. And um, I, I had an interesting conversation with a friend about this. Like, basically, we we're talking about why people go to the club and all that. And I basically told him I, I moved the aspect of it because it's. I don't know if it's. I don't know if I'm going to the wrong clubs. I probably am, uh, but it, it's so loose on what's going to grab me. Like sometimes I've been out on a night out. Usually it's something where I'm like completely not expecting it to be good, and then it just floors me. That's when it's like that's. But how are you meant to aim for that? <laughs> you end up going to stuff that's not good anyway. Um, yeah, I just. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, I just I'd, maybe maybe it's a reflection of a reflection of what clubs are like right now. But for me, I just don't get that kind of. And it is it is to do with the control element. I'm a control freak, so I'd probably prefer to be DJ. That sounds snobby and weird, but like no, mate, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it's like I think I'd rather I'd rather be in that room of, of playing the songs rather than be in the room listening to the songs that I don't really want to hear particularly. Absolutely. <laughs> It's absolutely kind of the radio instead of your spotify playlist mm. that'd be a, like it's risky there's <laughs> a lot more risk just listening to a radio station than your actual taste uh that might be selfish but that's kind of where i'm at with it all right i'm going to take you home for track six sam tell me a favorite song from an artist from your home county uh, i had to choose hudson hawk he's my favorite artist from where i'm from um I'm claiming Glasgow right now because there's no artists from Stirling. <laughs> um, but Scotland in general is small enough. Uh, I chose Rising Five because that was a song that was in my head when I was... Um, when I thought of him, that's the one that I was, like, just heard when I immediately said it. So Rising Five, yeah, that's a great track. That album... That album got me thinking about locations of places because... Um, There's, the stuff that he was doing was like a, it was so heavily influenced by the stuff my brother was doing.
but in such a completely different rhythmic style. But sonically, there was these kind of rave sounds. Um, oh, sorry, man. Someone's calling. <laughs> yeah, they just had uh, um, very Scottish feel to it. Very like overload of euphoric, like high frequency. I don't know how to exactly explain it, but. You know, like it's almost like fairground music in a sense. Like Scottish music has that, like dance. Like, how, how, how buzzed can we feel off something? Maybe because it's the weather and it's like grey all the time outside. We have beautiful scenery, but like when you're in the city, it's very industrial. It's for Glasgow, and even Edinburgh has a kind of like gothic tone. So I feel like the music palette almost like completely contrasts that, and it's usually something that's really like in your face very bright, um, very euphoric. That's the word I'd use for it. But Hudson Mohawk did it in a in a broken beat, like almost with influence from early beat scene stuff like Flying Lotus and all that, and he just completely flipped it. And this was before I knew what trap was and all that stuff. So, so before that, I was getting into this this sound, which he, he pioneered to me. Like he, Him and Rusty, they've got a similar kind of dubstep was floating about, but they were doing it in a kind of strictly hip-hop and um, polyrhythmic. Everything was so intelligent that it, that in that album, especially Butter. Um, and I knew he was using FL Studio. And I knew he was I, I knew he was using... He told me recently that he was using it on a Windows XP, like, old computer. And these drums, man, <clears throat> they're all programmed. And the fact they're all programmed, the fact he was doing it, it must have been before 2009. Again, I have a fixation on when people make stuff and how it can just continue to sound brand new. No one understood that record when it came out. I think people don't get it still. But something about it to me, because I was at, at that hyperactive teenage years, I was from Scotland and I was getting into hip-hop via electronic music. It was like, bang, that was that's what set it off for me. And that's what really made me want to make more experimental stuff as well. Because it took me away from French House, which is all about kind of capturing a moment and capitalizing on that one moment. This stuff was like the opposite, like creating a, a world and breaking it in front of you kind of thing. Like totally the opposite of what I was used to. So I'm very thankful to, to have heard all that stuff and have that in the back of my back pocket because it means I can get weird, but also get quite centered into a certain like style. But yeah, that's more man. It's crazy. One of my favorites. Sam, for your last track, uh, you can be uh tastemaker, or as the kids call it, influencer. Mm -hmm. Uh tell me a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear, please, mate. It's, it's called Body and Soul, and it's the four minute version that I specified in four minute fifty eight. There's two versions because it's like a it's an old jazz album, but it's by Coleman Hawkins. <laughs> I think I heard this on a blog, but I could not tell you exactly how I found this stuff. It's just like a slow jazz. He's a, I think he's a saxophone player. And all the sounds, the movement of the, the track is so... I don't know if it's a jazz standard that he's making, putting a spin on or that he wrote that song. Um, but it's like the drums are so low in the mix. It's just like, it's very, it's almost a soundtrack based but it goes in so many different colors and different directions um and there's no reason that anyone's gonna hear it 
because it's not going to be played on like even the fact of like I had to specify which one it is yeah because there's another one which is more famous but it's a similar it's a similar you know the jazz guys they always do that they have a certain riff and then they, they name the song, same song about eight times um but this song really stuck with me I remember hearing it I used to listen to the full album but this this one from the album is really beautiful and I, I want people to hear it because there's I can almost guarantee there's not going to be another instance where you're going to get someone telling you to listen to that song. And even in that in general, I love things like that because it's like a little secret that you can share with people. That's why I love sampling because I, I ultimately probably found that because I was on a sample one. But um, this one is, um, this one's definitely, it's just going to stick with me forever. I listened to it again after choosing it. I was like, this is so beautiful. And it's very, it just gives you such a, it's so peaceful. Do you ever need to relax and just sit back on a couch and do that? Like, you put that one on and just chill, do whatever you need to do. But that's definitely, yeah, it's going to live with me forever, that track. Well, Sam, and, what we do is we make it easy. I to speak about it either. So I, I'm glad you uh, asked me that question. Well, we make it easy for people to go and discover it because we put together a little Spotify playlist to accompany the podcast with all of the tracks that you've chosen on and obviously uh, some of your music as well, Sam. Um, So, Sam, moving forwards, what's happening for the rest of the year? What's happening with you, mate? Um, I'm finishing my album. I just dropped my mixtape, which was 15 tracks. um, Dropped it last Friday. So... I've got tour dates I've just announced, which will be in February. So I've got one in Paris and one in London right now. There's more coming in Europe. Um, but yeah, I've got, I'm juggling two albums at the minute. And I, the reason why the mixtape had a very, the genre list, it was like one minute, is, it's like house or trap or this bit. The second last track is kind of slow 80s jam. Like it just goes all over the shop. But I treated it like a like a series, like a TV series, so like different episodes within the series. But the albums are going to be like films, so it's going to be very thematic. So essentially, I want to probably my first album. I wanted to be a funk album, which is or like a like disco, reminiscent of what I was listening to, like with and all the samples I was going to. I was heavily into Jamiroquai when I was growing up as well. And actually, I got into them because of an advert of their greatest hits. And I just heard all these songs combined. I was like, whoa, these sound crazy. And then I got this, I heard all this stuff. I was like, wow. So the TV, things like that really helped me because I wasn't hearing music when I was growing up, as you said. But yeah, back to now. Um, one of them's going to be a funk album. The other one's going to be more experimental, like trappier. Kind of, I want to pay homage to the older stuff with the funk album. But still have some pushing, like some stuff that you wouldn't hear traditionally. And then the next album will be this kind of looking forward, like futuristic sounds, something that's going to like, hopefully. That's why I love funk, because it's, it's, it withstands the test of time. You can hear, listen to it at any point. If it sounds good, it's going to stay there. But I want stuff, the next album to be more like pushing forward so it makes more sense in future and things like that. But yeah, just going to keep making music, enjoying myself in London, because I've never, I've only been here for two months, so... Oh mate, there's lots to be ha- there's lots of fun to be had there, mate. There's too much, too much to do. <laughs> Sam, if people want to keep up to speed with uh, releases, tour dates, and such, where's the best place to follow you, mate? Uh, I'm most active on Instagram. For Twitter's close second. Um, it's just my name, Sam Gelletry. 
And I've got a website with all my tickets and stuff if you ever want to come and see me. But yeah. Okay. Well, we're, if it's cool with you, we'll tag you in everything when this comes out so people can find you if they haven't done already. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me. Wonderful. Yeah, Sam, I've had an absolute ball today, mate. It's been really nice talking tunes with you, mate. Likewise. And thank you so much. Have a great day. Oh, mate. Oh, man. Absolute pleasure. I'm going to press stop. Don't go anywhere. There you go. Sam Galatri. What a top, top gen. Just, do you see what I'm saying? When I was talking about how his mind was sort of wired at a at a young age, to kind of be kind of intrigued by Rexop and stuff that isn't literally tailor-made and, and you know, pushed upon young ears. He, he, he just was finding stuff that was left field, uh, you know, going down YouTube rabbit holes, exploring some of these insane electronic acts at a young age. Like, I just find that kind of thing fascinating. That, and, and I think when you find, if you're doing that at such a young age, where are you at? What are you going to be doing 10 years later? You're going to be creating some absolute gold, which is what Sam's doing. Um, so as mentioned, go check it all out. Um, we, he's tagged in all of these posts for this podcast um, if you follow us on the social. So go give him a follow. Go check his music out. Um, go check out the Spotify playlist of um, today's episode because not only of all the tracks that he's chosen on there, but I've put a big stack of Sam's work on there as well. Um, yeah. I think we're done. Thank you ever so much for listening uh, to today's episode. Like I say, go explore the back catalogue because there's 450 plus episodes now and they're all available for free. Everything else you need to know about this podcast, check the website, offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. I'll be back next time. Have a lovely week. Thanks ever so much for listening. Cheers. Bye-bye.